We are back in the book of Daniel. We had a a three-week break as we had a great missions conference and hope you all enjoyed our time as we heard from uh, various missionaries throughout the past three weeks. But now we're back in our series uh, going through the book of Daniel chapter by chapter. And this is a lengthy chapter that I'm going to read to us this morning. So I would encourage you all to open your Bibles now with me. Daniel 5, open your Bibles and follow along with me as I read because it's lengthy. But I'm telling you, as I read it, if you've never read this chapter before, you're going to be blown away. It is uh, one of the best chapters in all the Bible and most intriguing chapters of the Bible. It's, it's really incredible and profound as I read through it. So please hang with me and uh, let's go here verse by verse, chapter 5 of Daniel. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of of the gods is in you, And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. 
O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven." And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night... Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is the word of the Lord. The writing is on the wall. Today we make this announcement when we believe that all indications make it certain that some negative consequences are about to occur. We say the writing is on the wall when we think something negative is going to happen. This expression comes from Daniel chapter 5, and we'll see that the writing appears on the wall, but this message is anything but clear at first. As we look through this lengthy chapter, there's going to be two things I'll be looking at. The first is I'll look at who King Belshazzar was, and then we'll talk about who God is. So who was this King Belshazzar? Well, if you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you here to Christ's Covenant. We have been going through this book of Daniel, chapter by chapter. In the first four chapters of Daniel, we learned about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king who came in and defeated God's people, the Israelites, southern Judah. He defeated Judah, and he ransacked the, the capital city of Jerusalem. And when he did that, he went into the treasury uh, of the temple of God, and he stole all the treasury goods, and he took those goods back to his Babylonian temple. He not only took the goods and treasures from God's temple and put it in the Babylonian temple, but he also took several young men from Jerusalem, and he indoctrinated them in the Babylonian ways. He taught them the Babylonian literature. He taught them all about the Babylonian gods, and uh, he taught them to become Babylonians. That's where we get through Daniel's chapters 1 through But Nebuchadnezzar, when he ruled, he ruled for 43 years. It was after his rule where his son, Evel Merodach, 
uh, assume the throne. And Evel Merodach, he had, he had been king for just a few years. He was assassinate, assassinated by his brother-in-law, who then assumed the throne. So the son of Nebuchadnezzar was killed by his brother-in-law. And track with me here. The brother-in-law then died a few years later, and the brother-in-law's son became king. The son of the brother-in-law of King Nebuchadnezzar's son, he was then assassinated by a guy named Nabonidus. Nabonidus. Why I bring this up is Nabonidus became king of Babylon, and it was the son of Nabonidus who was Belshazzar. Why does all this matter? Well, as you read through Daniel 5, you will find that Belshazzar, he mentioned to Daniel that if he was able to interpret the writing of the wall, he would be placed third in command. Belshazzar was second in command because his father, Nabonidus, was first in command. Nabonidus was the king of Babylon when Daniel 5 was written. But Nabonidus, he did not get along well with his people. He also did not get along well with the Babylonian priest. And so what he did was he took his capital city into another area from Babylon, and he left Babylon to be ruled by his king, Belshazzar. So Belshazzar is second in command when Daniel 5 was written. He's leading the Babylonians in Babylon And here's what we know to be true about history. History tells us that Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus, he was ruling in a different area in the empire of Babylon, and he was fighting battles against the Persians and the Medes. While Belshazzar's dad was fighting the battle, guess what Belshazzar was doing in Babylon? He was throwing a party. He was living it up. And there's three things that we will learn about Belshazzar as we go through this lengthy chapter. The first thing that we learn about him is that he disregarded his responsibilities. Again, his father is out fighting the battle that he should be fighting with him, but his father's out there fighting the battle against the enemy. And we know that it was during this banquet where his father lost the battle and the Persians and the Medes were literally at the gate of the city of Babylon. And so while the enemy is at the, the, the gate of the city, guess what Belshazzar is doing? He's throwing a party. He shows disregard for his responsibilities. Verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. This was theater at its finest. Belshazzar has this big party at his palace. And he wants everybody, all the key leaders in Babylon and all the women there that were there with him, he wants all eyes on him as he's drinking the wine from the Lord's treasury, from the temple. It was a slap in the face to God, but it showed that he shirked his responsibilities. While his dad is out out fighting the war, what is he doing? He's drinking. He's getting drunk. Now, this was theatrical as all eyes were on him but why did he do this well we could assume one he may have been drowning out his sorrows but I believe the reason he did it was he was proving a point to his people that I don't care about the enemy we're much more powerful than the enemy and so let's just eat drink and be merry let's have fun before we go out in war before they come into the city because you know what we're going to defeat them easily we got this so let's live it up you know as I, I think about Belshazzar and how he 
neglected his responsibilities and how he disregarded his responsibilities, I think about a lot of people today in our society. You know, you think about addiction and how it is running rampant. People are addicted to opioids. They're addicted to alcohol. They're addicted to sex or drugs. They're addicted to work. Whatever it may be, they're addicted. And why? Well, a couple reasons. One, because life is hard. Life is stressful. And so instead of just continuing to just plow through life, you know, it's easy just to hit the bottle. Or it's easy just to give in to drugs. Or it's easy to give in to other things, our addictions. Because after all, it's much better to just live it up and have fun. This is Belshazzar's motto in life. He's saying, don't worry about the war. Don't worry about all these responsibilities. Let's have fun. Let's just enjoy life. Well, the problem with this, with this idea, this perspective of life is that the party scene will end up hurting the most important people around you and you won't get important things done. You will neglect important things and you will neglect important people when you live your life for the party scene. And so many people are living their life for Friday or for Saturday or for spring break, spring breaker bust. Let's go to Daytona Beach. That's the world we live. Let's go to the lake and live it up. Because after all, let's just have fun. Well, the fun will only last for a little while. And then all of a sudden, other things will begin to pile up, like more responsibilities that you neglect or family members that you may neglect. And that's what happened here. Belshazzar was neglecting his responsibility. He was neglecting his own family. His father was out fighting the war when he was out partying. Because it just seems better to party. But he disregarded his responsibilities. The second thing that we noticed about Belshazzar, he didn't just disregard his responsibilities, but he disregarded God. That's worse. Verses 2 through 4. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Sinclair Ferguson said of King Belshazzar, he said, King Belshazzar's heart was a factory of rebellion against God. He completely disregarded God. And as I said a minute ago, his... Nebuchadnezzar, what he did was he, he stole from the temple of God all those artifacts, all those vessels, those uh, sacred objects of worship that were supposed to be used for worship. He took those, Nebuchadnezzar did, and put it in his Babylonian temple, which he was saying and making a statement to God, my gods are more powerful than you, God. Now Belshazzar, he, he took those objects of worship, and instead of using it for sacred worship for God, He used it for pleasure, and he filled it with wine and booze and alcohol, and he said, I don't care about God. We don't need God. We got this. This is far better. Let's live it up. Let's party. That's what he was doing here, and he was slapping God in the face. You know, as I think about this, I think about how people are appealed 
to the here and now. They drown out the stresses of life with alcohol or with other things. Or they just say, you know what? I need these things so much I'm willing to give up things that are important to me. And those addictions can become our God. Belshazzar blasphemed God. He disregarded God. And what happens when we blaspheme and disregard God? (laughs) One of the most amazing miracles is what happened in Daniel 5. As he's there drinking from the objects of the Lord's temple. And he's just slapping God in the face. Look at me. All of a sudden, this massive hand comes in (laughs) the palace out of nowhere. And his hand begins to write these words on the wall, the plaster of the wall. It said that as this was going down, the king's color changed, meaning he was probably pale, white. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. He's just shocked beyond disbelief he sees this hand out of nowhere and he's saying what in the world is that what's going on here you know a couple scholars as i was looking at this they said when it said that his his knees knocked together it was really saying in the hebrew he wet his pants so he sees his hand and he wet his pants and i'm just going to be honest with you if the lord decides to bring a hand right now and begins to write on this wall i'm probably going to wet my pants And so will you. (laughs) That's reality here. That's what happened to Belshazzar. He wet his pants. Because he completely disregarded God. He turned pale. Now, what continues to happen in the story? It's unreal. Well, you see that he didn't just disregard his responsibilities or disregard God. He also disregarded history. He didn't learn from it, even though he knew it. So as this is all taking place, in walks the queen. And we don't know if the queen was the wife of Nebuchadnezzar or his son. It could have been, uh, it could have been his mother, Belshazzar's mother. We don't know who this queen was. It was obviously in the family line of kings. And this queen came in, and she wasn't in the party, by the way, which was good for her. But she comes into the banquet hall, and she gives this motherly advice. Belshazzar. Even though you tried to get your astrologers to interpret these words and they couldn't, you need to remember Daniel. Because Daniel, he helped Nebuchadnezzar, who was your father. He wasn't his literal father. He was in a king of of fatherly kings. And so in the Old Testament, the word father meant in the line of kings. And so Nebuchadnezzar was in the line of kings of Belshazzar. And so this queen reminded Belshazzar, kind of rebuked him and called him out saying, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, who was in the line of kings, he ended up promoting this man Daniel because Daniel was, had the spirit of the gods in him. He, he was able to interpret dreams. He, he had so much great wisdom and was able to tell riddles and interpret riddles and stories. You need to bring him in because your magicians can't do it. And so Daniel walks in the room. And notice what Belshazzar says to Daniel in verse 13. He called him one of the exiles of Judah that the king my father brought from Judah. Daniel walks in the room and Belshazzar said, oh yeah, you're one of those exiles that Nebuchadnezzar brought in. What was Belshazzar doing in this moment to Daniel? He was trying to put Daniel in his place. Instead of saying, Daniel, you are one of those men that 
Nebuchadnezzar promoted in a, a great area of leadership? He said, no, you were one of those slaves, those exiles that Nebuchadnezzar brought in. And then he goes on to say, yeah, I've heard that you were able to interpret riddles and dreams and visions. I heard about that. He said it twice. Why did he say that? Again, I believe Belshazzar was making a point to Daniel. Not only are you just this little weak slave, but I've heard that you could do this. Meaning, I I seriously doubt you'll be able to do it because all of my astrologers couldn't do it. So I really doubt you'll be able to read whatever this random hand wrote on this wall. But you know what? We'll see. And if you are able to read it, then I will give you my purple robe of authority. I'll give you a gold chain and I'll put you third in command behind my father and me. If you can do it. But I seriously doubt it. But you see, he completely disregarded history because the queen reminded him that, well, there is this man, Daniel, who can interpret these things. It goes on, and Daniel goes on to interpret it. But before Daniel interpreted the the words on the wall and what what they meant, Daniel went on to remind gently but assertively King Belshazzar about Nebuchadnezzar. And he goes on to remind him of what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a proud and arrogant king. And time and time and time again, God humbled this proud and arrogant king. It got so bad for Nebuchadnezzar because he was so proud and arrogant. And he said, I don't need God. Do you know what God did to him? He turned him into beast mode. Meaning, he completely turned the king Nebuchadnezzar's mind into that of a beast. Where Nebuchadnezzar began to eat like a beast. He ate like an ox. It also said that he lived among the donkeys. He was beast-like. Why did God do that? Because God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. He turned him into a beast. And then after seven years of being like a beast... Nebuchadnezzar finally understood, oh, I'm not in control, God is. He humbled himself and he lifted God up. And then God changed him back and Nebuchadnezzar became a new man. I I believe that we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because he trusted in the Lord, I hope. What a turnaround. Daniel reminded Belshazzar of Nebuchadnezzar and how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar enough to even turn him into an animal. But yet it's interesting here in verse 22 where Daniel said to Belshazzar, and you, Nebuchadnezzar's son in the line of kings, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Notice he said, even though you knew all this, you knew about the story of Nebuchadnezzar and how he turned into an animal. You knew this, but yet you disregarded it. You don't care about the history. You continue to live the life as you please. And lead the way you want to lead by throwing this party. He completely disregarded history. There's a philosopher who passed away many years ago, G.W.F. Heigl. He said, the only thing we learn from history is that we have learned nothing from history. It's a very sad and stark view of life. But he said, the only thing we learn from history is that we have learned nothing from history. That's Belshazzar. The only thing he learned from history is nothing. He learned nothing. Even though he knew about Daniel, even though he knew what God did to Nebuchadnezzar and how he humbled him, he could care less. He said, I don't care about history. 
I'm living in the present, by golly. This is fun. We're going to live it up. We don't need to worry about what happened in the past. We're in the present, baby. That was his view. That was how he lived his life. And as I think about this, I think about generational blessings and I think about generational curses. We can all in this room learn a lot from our ancestors. We can learn about all the good things and we can learn from the bad things. We don't want to throw our people under the bus, but we can learn about their mistakes and learn from them. We can even learn from our own mistakes so that we don't repeat those mistakes. Generational blessings, you know what I mean by that. Generational blessings could be you continue on the family faith, Christianity through your family line. That is a beautiful blessing. A generational curse would be alcoholism that runs rampant in your family. It could be divorce that's plaguing your family. It could be addictions or other things that continues to harm your family for generations to come. Every one of us needs to look back on our family line and say, how do we need to break the curses and how do we need to continue the blessings that have been passed down from my family line? We all need to remember history and we can change history for God's glory and for our good by his grace. But again, we've got to remember history. Belshazzar, he could care less about history, completely disregarded it. And then Daniel went on to tell him the harsh reality about his present and future state. Daniel went on to interpret the words that were written on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Mene means it was, it was written twice to emphasize a point. Mene means to count or to number. Verse 26, Daniel said, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means to weigh and is considered a sense of evaluation like you're being weighed on the scales of justice. And then Daniel went on to say, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And then peres, parson, to divide. It even can denote the word Persia. Isn't that interesting? Taken to mean that Belshazzar's Babylon would be split and given to two Iranian powers, the Medes and the Persians. You know what Daniel was saying as he interpreted these words that were written from this hand of God? You see, he said, King Belshazzar, the party's over. You lost, and God is the ruler of all. This is a reminder, once again, as we go through Daniel, the main theme of the book is that God is sovereign and in control of all world powers and all rulers throughout all of history. That's the theme of the book. And once again, we see it again, how God overrules nations and men, and he will bring people to justice in his own way and in his own time. We should never doubt the judgment of God can come upon us and come, come upon this nation. We should never doubt that. Belshazzar, he doubted it. He said, I don't believe God's going to show his justice to us. I don't believe he's going to bring judgment to me and to this kingdom. We're beyond that. But yet we should never doubt the judgment of God that it will come. Have you noticed, for those of us who've really been going through this book the last couple months, have you noticed the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar? And have you noticed how God dealt with these men differently? You know, with Nebuchadnezzar, he reigned for 43 years. And God was slow, uh, slow to anger and abounding in love and forgiving 
forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. I mean, it took, it took Nebuchadnezzar two visions. It took him to see a fiery furnace and men not even being burned through a fiery furnace. And then it took him to turn into an animal for him to finally get it. But God was patient with Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't he? He was forgiving to Nebuchadnezzar. But with Belshazzar, it's a different story, isn't it? God did not allow wickedness to reign with Belshazzar. And he executed swift and severe judgment. I like what Ferguson said. He said, it's a reminder we have dare not presume upon the grace that the Lord has shown to others. What a statement. But what is Sinclair Ferguson saying here? He's saying we don't need to compare ourselves with other people and how God treats other people because God does whatever he pleases. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whoever he wants. And we don't need to doubt that. We don't need to get upset about that. But here's something that could easily happen to us. I would say most of us in this room have heard of stories or might even know people who come to faith in Christ at the very end of their life. You know, they're on their deathbed. They may have gotten a cancer diagnosis. They know they're on their deathbed. And they then come to faith in Jesus. They've lived their whole life in rebellion against God, doing whatever they want, living it up. And then all of a sudden, at the end, they say, I love Jesus. And you know, that's God's grace. Praise the Lord for that. Because none of us deserve it. But we could know those examples, and then we could translate in our own lives and say, oh, well, if that happened to Aunt Sally, that could happen to me. So I don't really need this Jesus stuff until I'm right at the end. You know, some people say, well, I don't really need Jesus or church or, or the Bible until maybe, maybe I graduate college. Yeah, that'd be good. Then you get to college and you say, I don't really need Jesus or church until, until you know, I get married, get out of college and start my career. Then you get there and say, yeah, I don't really need Jesus and stuff until I, we start having kids. And then we can bring the kids because after all, they need, to, they need to be in a good environment. And then you start having kids and things get busy and soccer and basketball and softball and all these activities. You say, ah, I don't need church. I don't need the word. I don't, I don't need Jesus. You know, let's wait till the kids, let's wait till they go to college. Then we'll have more time. Then your kids go off to college, and then your work responsibilities get more. Then you start to travel more, and then you say, ah, you know, I don't really need Jesus right now because let's just wait till, till uh, you know, we, we retire. And then you retire and you say, yeah, yeah, I don't need this until we have grandkids. Then we'll take the grandkids. And then by then, you're, you're at the end and you're saying, well, I don't really think I need them, or maybe I do. I, I urge you not to have that philosophy. Don't wait to have a relationship with Jesus. Don't wait to get involved in the church. Don't wait to open the Bible and read and study it. Because life goes quickly. And here's the thing. The more you wait and the more you continue to live in your sin as if you don't need God, who's to say God won't take you today? Because God can execute his judgments swiftly and severely. Quickly. Proverbs 6 tells us, A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Look at this. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. I don't want this for any of you. 
You know, it's interesting. Some of you know the story. But Joe Kennedy Jr., the older brother of JFK, he died at a pretty young age. And you know how he died? He was fighting in World War II, and he was a pilot. And he was about to fly the PB-24 Liberator. And the PB-24 Liberator, it was designed for a pilot and co-pilot to fly, fly it to about a midway point or to a certain distance. And then they would have to evacuate, and the plane would continue on being controlled by a remote control detonator or device. And it had explosives in this plane, and then this remote control would end up taking the plane into, to hit its target and explode. You know what happened to Joe F. Kennedy Jr.? Before he got into the plane, there was a malfunction on that device, that remote control device. And he was warned, Joe, don't get in that plane and don't fly that plane because that, 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 that device is malfunctioned and, and it could just be a simple act of turbulence that will set it off and you could explode in the sky before you evacuate. Joe Kennedy knew the facts, but he said, no, I'm going to take a risk. He was a risk taker. I'm going to do it. So he and his co-pilot went, and guess what happened? The device detonated with him in the plane, killing him and his co-pilot. Joe F. Kennedy Jr., he died that day in the war. Even though he was told, this can happen, don't do it, he disregarded it, saying, ha, I don't need it. We can do this. I'm telling you today through the word of God that God is a loving and gracious God, and we praise him for it. He's also a holy and wrathful God who must punish sin. And if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus and you don't love him and you have chosen not to follow him, I'm telling you, you're making a mistake. And if you die today and you don't love Jesus, you will go to hell for eternity. I don't want that for any of you. If you're here today and you do love Jesus, but you continue to allow a certain sin to get the best of you and it's entangling you and you keep going back to it and you keep flirting with it and you're putting it before God, I hate to tell you, consequences will happen. You reap what you sow. Be careful of that. And instead, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and say, Lord, by your grace, I'm gonna run with perseverance the race that you have set out for me in faith. Help me, Jesus, to have this faith because I can't do it without you. I can't be more clear than this. Please hear me on it. This is from the word of God. We can learn a lot from Belshazzar and what not to do. We can also learn a lot about a God who can do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases. And so please don't let another day go by one, if, you, if you're not a believer, without trusting in Jesus because he's so good and he'll give you more than booze or, or anything else. And two, for those of you who are believers struggling with a certain sin that's getting the best of you, say, Lord, help me fight this sin and help me to love you more than this sin because you are far better than this sin that I'm dealing with.